Well, let's just begin with reading a portion of the scriptures. Romans chapter 1. And I probably won't need to ask you to look into your Bibles. I'm pretty sure most of you know that verse by heart. It's Romans 1 verse 16, right? It's a very famous, famous verse. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. It would be a real pleasure to me just merely to expound the word, because that is really what I'm, I do most, or have been doing most in my previous uh, Christian ministry. I used to be a professor of New Testament studies, so this is really what I did most of the time, expounding the book of Romans, Colossians, Hebrews, First Peter, and so on and so forth. Just to dig deep into the word and to try to understand what it says, and when to apply it. Just to apply faith to what we have been given by God due to his divine revelation, understanding who he is, understanding who I am, understanding the world around me, and then obviously also to understand what my task is as a Christian, what I need to do in order to live a Christian life day in, day out. Right? I cannot live on, my, on the faith of yesterday. That is not possible. I have to live today. I have to seize the day today. Because today is a day of salvation, right? Second Corinthians. We are his witnesses according to Romans 1 verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And really this is the biggest problem in most churches today and I'm speaking about evangelical churches. I'm not speaking about all these liberal churches which are not churches at all. Do you agree with me? I'm talking about evangelical churches. Churches, pastors of these churches who claim to know Jesus Christ, to know the scriptures and try to expound the word. And yet, I think the biggest problem in these churches is these pastors are ashamed of the gospel. Because where is God's power being displayed? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So, it is the gospel. And nothing else besides it, right? Yes, right? Nothing else. If you think you need to entertain people who come to church, first and foremost, and put the gospel on second row, it won't work. It will never work because there is no true spiritual power in entertainment. As exciting as it might be at times, okay? If there is a nice tune being played on the stage, and sadly it's called stage, right? And the churches are built like theaters. 
and there are hardly any windows anymore. Artificial lightning, lighting, uh, lighting, not lightning, lighting. <laughs> well, I hope, and uh, sometimes I hoped, uh, I wished there would be some lightning striking. <laughs> but the Lord is good. <laughs> he doesn't send down lightning from him, right? Remember that story about the Samaritans when the Sabbaths approached Jesus, strike them with lightning. He said, well, you don't know what, uh, what spirit, uh, children of, of, of God's spirit you are. So, my message is really simple. Once everything is said and done, after these sections for the day, my message is still the same. And I can summarize it in just a few words. We could actually spare our four sessions. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'll go through it. <laughs> Preach the gospel. That's my message. Because this is where the power of God lies, right? This is how God helps us to understand what it means to live with Him. Because we are sinners. And we have to admit this to ourselves. This is what God says about us. You are a sinner. You are in rebellion against the Almighty God. You need to be reconciled with your Creator, right? You need God's forgiveness. And there's only one place where we can find that forgiveness underneath the cross. That's the only place. There's no other place. That's the place where I want to be. And by the grace of God, this is where I am. And if I'm always, if I am tempted sometimes to leave that place, who is me? I need to come back to the cross. And we do need to repent of our sins on a daily basis because we do fail. You're not yet perfect, right? We do fail, but we have a place to go to. How miserable is that church or that pastor who forgets about the cross? Right? Who takes everything else and places in the center of his ministry except the cross. How miserable is that? And it, it really grieves me. It's not something, oh, look at that horrible church at the corner. How horrible is that? What do I do? It's not like that. It's more like, Lord, give them your mercy as you have given me mercy. This is really where we should be, right? Remember that one story uh, Jesus told about that priest who went up to the temple and looked back. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like one of those, right? It's n- you shouldn't have that attitude. It's not... Thank you for giving me your mercy. Apart from your mercy, I would stand up there. I would be a pastor of a mega church. But your mercy has prevented it to happen. And, and we, should be, we should be humble. We should not accuse. But nonetheless, we should also realize 
But there is a problem, and it is a serious problem, it's spiritual deception. So we should not minimize the problem, but we should never do it in a proudful, arrogant manner, right? Accusing manner. Never do that. Understand the problem for what the problem is. You could be a part of a problem, perhaps you are or have been. I have been at, at certain points in my life, not knowing, right? There are many people following these leaders who have the best motives. They want to reach the masses. They want people to come to church. Now, this is exactly what I also want. I want that people would come to church, that people would listen to the Word of God. I do want that too. I want people to be saved. And there, as I said, once again, I repeat myself, there are lots of pastors in these mega churches, and they have that desire. But nonetheless, they are deluded. They have bought into a system, they have bought into a program, they have bought into concepts which lead them far away from what they truly want to achieve or see happen. And spirit deception, deception works in a specific way. Well, if someone is deluded, he does not necessarily realize he is deluded, right? So, God needs to do a work in his life as well as in my life to keep me from being deluded. They are deceivers, as it is written in Timothy. I believe Second Timothy, they are deceivers deceiving others. Being deceived and deceiving others. So we need the Spirit of God to enlighten us. It's not my wisdom. It's not my many years of study. It is the Spirit of God helping me to understand these spiritual realities. According to First John, right? The Spirit of discernment to, uh, to understand what, what's good and what's evil. So it's really God helping us. This is really my prayer that He will enlighten us, that He will help us, that He will lead us on the straight end because the way is broad, right? Who leads to destruction. We don't want to be on that road. So we need to be humble. We need to look to the Lord for guidance, help, Enlightenment, wisdom, spiritual nourishment, and so on and so forth. Because there is only one righteousness, the righteousness of God, which is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, a righteous man shall live by faith. God has given me everything for me to live a Christian life successfully. And it starts with his righteousness which he has given to me in Christ and it's a perfect righteousness that's the only way how I can approach God clothed in the righteousness of Christ the Bible calls it or theologians call it justification justification by faith now we are just a few days after the Reformation Day October 31st And we should celebrate God for his goodness to us, for giving us 
a true understanding of what, what it means to be clothed in God's righteousness. Yesterday I started to address the topic of dominionism. Maybe just carry on. We'll see how it goes. Maybe I will fill off four sessions uh, with different subtopics of that one main topic, or we will go on and address some other aspects of spiritual uh, deception, which are in some ways still connected with this big topic. So, in essence, we do not leave the main topic, but I will just see how it goes. What did we learn yesterday? What was my main message? I will give you again that one slide with a working definition of dominionism. What were the key terms which we learned yesterday? Just re- let's, uh, let us repeat certain concepts which were mentioned yesterday for the for benefit of those who have not been here. What is the main message of dominionism? Building of a kingdom of God on earth. Correct. And what did we say about that? What is the meaning of that particular phrase, building the kingdom of God on earth? What do we mean by that? What do we mean by that? Yeah, what do we mean by that? We. We. (laughs) Not the dominionists. (laughs) Preaching the gospel. Thank you. (laughs) Not being ashamed of the gospel, right? I'm just testing you if you are still with me, right? <laughs> it's early in the morning, right? So I need to stir your spirit a little bit to get <laughs> on with the program. So, yes, preaching the gospel. That is what we, what we mean by that phrase. And that, may, that obviously uh, is continuous. Making disciples, starting, founding, planning churches, right? Teaching the Christians what is written in the Bible, like, Expounding the word. Right? Verse by verse, expositional preaching. And then encouraging one another, having fellowship with one another as, as Christians, as we should. Because we cannot live our Christian life all by ourselves. Right? It's like that fire, if you put wood together and start the fire, it does burn. But if you take one of those wood pieces out, it, the fire goes out in that particular piece. Right? And it's kind of interesting. I, I had a conversation with uh, a not very, very nice family in Brisbane, and for some reason or another, I just felt inclined to mention that analogy. Once I was done, the man looked at me and said, this is the very same analogy Philip Powell used in their presence. <laughs> and obviously I didn't know. But it is very important for us as Christians to stick together, to help each other, to encourage one another not to leave the assembly. Right? And this is what we mean by building the kingdom of God on earth. It's the church. And yes, as individual Christians, we go out and we have some impact on society. Little or less, or more, it's up to God, right? We will have some influence on our society. 
but it should never be our primary focus. I can be a politician. I'm not saying that. We shouldn't. There are hopefully some Christian, truly Christian born-again politicians, as well as doctors, engineers, teachers, and so on and so forth. And they do have an influence in some ways on others, for the good, I hope. But it's not our primary purpose. I'm not seeking influence in society. I'm just seeking to live a God-pleasing life. That's what I'm seeking. I try to glorify God in the way how I conduct my life. And yes, He uses me as a blessing for others. And it's for His praise, for His glory, right? for His glorification. It's not me. It's Him. And yet this is put on its head. Entertainment has come into the church to excite the people, to bring in the masses. And Christ has been pushed to the side. And the cross is nearly forgotten, if not entirely forgotten. And then those people who come to that particular building, I am hesitating to call it church, are said, now you go out and have an impact on your society. Change your society. And it's quite revealing sometimes also to note the specific vocabulary, the terms which they use. And it's really, as I explained yesterday, it's really a use of euphemisms. You explain something which has a negative connotation or a negative meaning by using positive terms. You're hiding the negative reality behind something by using or describing it in some well-pleasing words. Now I went to the website of one of the local churches, I won't name the name, just early this morning, I didn't know about the church before, I was just, I, I heard the name being mentioned, and I just went to that website, and right away it just took me two seconds, two seconds, to realize where this church stands, spiritually speaking. just went to a sub-page of that particular website of that local church here. And they describe what they want to do. We are here as a healing force or healing for us individuals, for our community, for our city and the world. We want to heal the world. And that is part of our mission. Uh, these are the euphemisms. These are the key terms you have to look out for. And they are used all over the place. And it sounds so nice. Who doesn't want to be a healing force in, in his or her community, right? Who doesn't want to help or to contribute something for the betterment of m- mankind? Sounds good. Sounds very good and it's very appealing and most folks would respond in a very, very positive way to a message like that. But my question still remains, is this what a Christian should do? 
<laughs> you learned something yesterday, right? <laughs> you listened to me yesterday, right? It's very good. <laughs> I'm very pleased about it. No. It's a side effect, right? It's a side effect which God gives. But it's not my main message, not my main uh, mission we are on. It's not my main thing. And there is a big debate in, in, in the states going on, and has been go- going on for quite a while, and well, by the grace of God, I'm in the middle of it, between prioritism and holism. Do you understand the meaning of these terms? Prioritism and holism. The position of, and it, it concerns missions, Christian missions. That's where the debate happens. But it goes far beyond uh, missionary context. But this is where the, the debate happens. And I used to go to a seminary in the States, Columbia Biblical Seminary and Graduate School of Missions in Columbia, South Carolina, where prioritism was the main message in regards to training missionaries. This was the foremost missionary training seminary in the States at the time I attended and had been for many decades prior to that. Priorityism, a meaning, and I will just give you a very basic, simple definition of it. There is much more to be said, but I'm just uh, hitting on the main nodes. Priorityism is the position where a missionary understands the mission of God as the proclamation of the gospel. First and foremost. This is his priority. Proclaiming gospel is number one. There is number two, number three, number four. We will not forget that. But number one is always the proclamation of the gospel. It's not the only thing we do. There are other things, other tasks we fulfill as Christians, right? But number one is always the preaching of the gospel. Prioritism. Holism means everything what we do as Christians has equal value. Being engaged in some mercy missions is just as valuable and sometimes even more valuable than proclaiming the gospel. That's holism. Holism comes from a root word which means whole. Encompass, encompassing. <laughs> Everything has its place somewhere in that big one mission uh, program or project I'm involved in. And I use terms like missional. Our church is missional. What does it mean? Well, whatever we do is connected to missions, regardless of what it is. I have a big problem with that position. (laughs) That is why I'm a proponent of a prioritistic uh, position over here, the first one which I mentioned. And this was the position of the seminary I attended in the 80s. It has totally flipped not. 
Now there's only one professor of intercultural studies. This is how it just the change of terminology gives you a clue. When I was a student there, the two professors who taught me most since I was in the missions track were called professors of missions. Straightforward. Now, the professor who teaches the very same thing which these professors of missions taught are called now professors of intercultural studies. Alright? I, I give a little, another footnote. I was associated in some ways, not, uh, I was not uh, part of it, but I had close contact, close contact to that particular missions agency. It used to be called Grace Brethren Foreign Missions. That's how it was called. Grace Brethren Foreign Missions. It was a fellowship of churches called Grace Brethren and they organized a missions agency which was called Grace Brethren Foreign Missions. And all of a sudden it was called Grace Brethren International Ministries. And not too long ago they changed that whole name to Encompass World Partners. Do you see that progression? The change of meaning? Encompass world partners. And I, I forgot the exact logo which I used initially, but I believe, if I remember correctly, I believe there was a cross in the logo of Grace Brand for Missions. There was a cross somewhere in the logo. If you look at the logo of Encompass World Partners, you will have to look very, very, very closely to discover any gross symbolism. They have a sail. They change the gross for a sail. And it's designed in such a way that they said, well, if you look close, you see the gross still. I, look, I looked very closely and took time to try to find the gross, but I couldn't see it. Sorry. It's, it is too sophisticated for me to see the cross in a sail. But this is how it's going, right? From prioritistic to holistic. Now we are just world partners. We come along any group which wants to do something good for whoever. And it's grievous to me. It's very grievous to me. But this is just how it is. Now, I started uh, telling you about that particular seminary. There's only one professor left in the, se- in the whole school. It's now called uh, Columbia International University. It's a whole university now. There's one professor left. His style is professor of intercultural studies. He's teaching missions. Who, has the, who still keeps up with the prioritistic position. And I had a personal conversation with him and, and he, he said the only reason why he's still hired at that seminary, the only reason is because the current president likes to have one token professor to uphold the original vision of the, of the seminary of the university. One token, mission, uh, one token professor. That's the only reason why he's still hired.
Well, we have to recognize the trend, and the trend is going against us, against me, against my position. That's just reality, right? Um, brother um, Werner, <laughs> let me try to draw him, said, uh, do you speak to lots, lots of people, large crowds in the churches you attend? I said, yeah. <laughs> so it's the masses are against you. Yes. The masses are against me. But who cares? As long as Christ is on my side. I stand on the side of victory. Right? First John 5 verse 4. Faith is the victory which has overcome the world. It's, it doesn't matter who agrees or disagrees. As long as I stand on the foundation of the Word of God and try to communicate what God has taught me in His Scriptures, I'm very well pleased, regardless of the consequences. So, this is our position, and I contrasted it already with the other to some degree. And yes, you mentioned what the dominionists mean by building the kingdom of God on earth. A very different understanding of it. So different that really you put the, the, the biblical position on its head. It is that different, day and night. The difference is like day and night. What do I mean by that? Well, we have to change society. We have to transform this world. According to a certain understanding of what that means, what they have an understanding of what they want to accomplish. A very clear understanding, at least most of them. But the term transformation is extremely important to them. Extremely important. It is so important that in Germany... There are a number of biology professors who banded together to write books in a series called Transformational Theology. Transformational Theology. And they are very proud uh, to be called theologians of transformation. Very proud indeed. So they are, they are not hiding anything under a bushel. They are out in the open proclaiming their particular understanding of what they think the mission of God or the mission of God's people needs to be. Transformation. Transformation from one state of being to another. And as I said, their focus is society. It's not the church. They would give token agreement to the statement that, well, yes, when we Christians when we become Christians, we are transformed, which is, which is true. Right? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Let's just quote that, uh, since I have Romans open in front of me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this word, but be 
transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect this is biblical transformation and I am totally in favor of that kind of transformation we should not conform to the world the standards of the world we should live different lives people around us should know that I'm a follower of Christ because they see I'm living a different life right? I have a different lifestyle there is transformation and it is done by the spirit of God and he does it by changing my thinking he transforms my mind so that I start thinking in conformity with the will of God which is described here as good, acceptable and perfect so I submit to God's authority and try to understand what he has taught me in the word I try to change my own thinking the Holy Spirit changes my thinking by reading the word and me submitting to it putting my faith into the truthfulness of the scriptures yes this is how, how God transforms me I'm a new creature right Second Corinthians 5 verse 17 is someone in Christ he's a new creature see all things have passed away everything has become new yes there is transformation but this is not the kind of transformation transformation theologians mean when I use the term transformation they want to change a city they want to change a nation they want to change the world ultimately and recreate society according to a specific uh, pattern specific model they have in mind and they want to use technology, science, psychosocial engineering so and so forth and they do tap into the supernatural some do it more overtly others uh, do it more in a muted way but they do tap into the supernatural and, and sometimes it becomes really bizarre and I just gave you one really bizarre extreme example it's not like that in most of these churches but you do find churches like that I was a conference speaker in Harrisburg Pennsylvania at one time I was just invited and the host family just picked me up from the airport and I was just new in the city I just had arrived from Switzerland at the time and I was just asking about the church scene here in Harrisburg Pennsylvania and my expectation was that yes there are some good churches Pennsylvania okay this is the Midwest it's not California or New England and then they said well we we can't go to any church here in this city and it's it's the capital city of Pennsylvania there is no church to go to now there are large churches okay but no church we actually could go to to feel comfortable being in that particular church and what we do there is a handful of other Christians who feel the same way how we do and we just rent a, a hotel conference room every Sunday just congregate and, and read the scriptures listen to some sermons and sing and have fellowship and that's, that's our Christian way of, of going to church 
but there are two big, the largest churches in town, and it's a big city. With, I don't know, obviously I haven't, I haven't been there, but let's just say a thousand, two thousand, three thousand people in attendance at each of these churches, which is normally considered a, a larger church, a mega church. There, there, is, there are two churches, and they are identical in what they do. And most people flock to these two churches. And when they describe what's go, what is going on in one of those churches, they have revival. What's the indication of why they think they have revival? Well, in the main sanctuary, people just look up to the ceiling and they see feathers falling down. And yes, these are feathers of angels. Right? Makes sense to me. Angels, feathers, falling down in the century. Angel feathers. And obviously this is the indication that God especially blesses that particular church and gives revivals. And if you go through the hallways of that large church, some people even see angels standing in some corners. Right? Another indication that God especially blesses that particular church. And some people even open their mouths, and all of a sudden, all their teeth are golden. Isn't that great? Now, this is a very extreme example, okay? Most churches are not like that. Thankfully. This is a very large church. It's one of the two largest churches in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And people flock to that church to see the golden teeth in the mouth of pastors. Right? What is important? This is the preaching of the gospel. <laughs> right? Sensationalism, pure and simple. I want to see these feathers falling down from the ceiling. So it's kind of sad. And please excuse me if I mock a little bit. I, I don't intend to. It really saddens me. It saddens me to no end that true believers in the entire city of Harrisburg can go to one church where they find Christian, uh, well, a Christian church where they, find, where they feel comfortable to go to. It really saddens me. And then it just goes on and on and ultimately they will or they expect a Christ to appear, a Savior who will straighten out every problem in this world and this one Savior obviously will then be the leader of that kingdom of God which they have established by their own ingenuity and wisdom and by their own gimmicks and my conclusion was, well, that's probably not the second coming of Christ. <laughs> it's my sad conclusion of that expectation by the Dominionist. It's more likely that we will find the Antichrist behind that person. Right? And he will pretend to be Christ, a world savior. He will pretend to be. He will sit on the throne of Christ, or, or in the throne of uh, the temple of God, pretend to be God, right? 
and ask for or demand worship, and people will bow their knees and accept the the, the mark of the beast, as it is called in Revelation. So, all of that is really um, indication that the word of God is true. Because God has revealed it to us. But this is the, the course of, uh, of world events in the future, right? And it has already started in the past. The spirit of lawlessness was already around, active, when the Apostle John wrote his first epistle. Right? So we should not be surprised by that. What really gives me comfort and ultimately really deep joy is that God's word is true. He sits on the throne. He rules as we have sung in that song. He rules. He has everything under his hand. No situation is outside of his sovereign control. And we can also see this in regards to the appearance of the Antichrist whenever he will come. I'm not saying he will come tomorrow. I'm not saying he will come in 10 years or 100 years. I don't know. Okay? And if you do a little historical studies, you go back to the 17th century and even further 16th century, we were already thinking that the Antichrist was just around the corner. Right? Luther called the Pope the Antichrist. And he was, well, he didn't appear, right, at that time. So it could go on for 1,000 years. I don't know. I'm not saying it will happen tomorrow. But what I'm saying is, he will come. Why? Because God has told me so. And everything will lead up to his appearance, and how long will he last? He will last for seven years, right? Seven years. Just look into your Bible, Revelation 17:17. 17, 17. It's a very easy verse to remember and to memorize, at least for reference. Revelation 17:17 17, 17 is a wonderful verse to contemplate in the context of our current topic. And you may want to refer to that verse over and over, when you feel a bit downcast, as I do at times, okay, I'm not always uh, exuberant, observing all these developments, which I think are really negative, but 17, Revelation 17, 17 is true. And what, is, what does God reveal to us in this particular verse? For God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by having a common purpose by giving their kingdom to the beast, and the beast is the Antichrist, until the words of God should be fulfilled. So who is the active agent of world events, world history? God has put it into their hearts to execute His purpose and ultimately to fulfill the word of God. This is very reassuring. This gives me confidence to stand up and speak about that topic because this is a really a, a really depressing topic if it comes down to, right? Not necessarily something I really cherish to talk about. 
This is why I started out to tell you that what I really would like to do is to expand the world. And we will do that too on Sunday. So this is a really depressing topic. But you should not leave this room today with a downcast spirit. You have no reason to be downcast, to be depressed about that. No reason whatsoever because God is in control and His word will be fulfilled. His purpose will be accomplished. This is our confidence. It's not me. It's not you. It's not the church here locally. It's Christ sitting on the throne. This is what it is, right? You would agree with me? This is why we can smile when we leap out here. This is why I can make jokes once in a while. (laughs) And we can laugh about it together. Because we are the most blessed people on this planet Earth. Knowing Jesus Christ. Let's just stop for this period and we will continue in the next period.